Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to Conversations. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I am thrilled about today's guest. For one reason, he's dead. He hasn't been around for 12 years, but he's still making a big influence on humanity. His name is Adida Samraj, and he was an American spiritual teacher, writer, and artist. He was the founder of a new religious movement known as Adidam. Adida initially became known in the spiritual counterculture of the 70s for his books and his public talks and for the activities of his religious community. His philosophy was essentially similar to many Eastern religions, which see spiritual enlightenment as the ultimate priority of life. Adida wrote many books about his spiritual philosophy and related matters, founding a publishing house to print them. And today we're going to have a conversation with one of his longtime students, Leo Burke. He is a professor and director of the Global Commons Initiative at Mendoza College of Business, the University of Notre Dame. In this capacity, he teaches courses on the commons to undergraduates, MBAs, and executive MBAs. From December 2000 through June 2008, he served as associate dean and director of executive education. And prior to joining Notre Dame, Burke served in a variety of roles at Motorola, including director and dean of the College of Leadership and Transcultural Studies with Motorola University. He was a founding member of philosopher Ken Wilber's Integral Studies Institute. So, Leo, welcome to Conversations. Well, thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Mike. I have to say, I have just devoured this book. While it's a slow read, really an amazing piece of work called Not To Is Peace, The Ordinary People's Way of Global Cooperative Order. Let's talk just for a minute about the name. What does that mean, Not To Is Peace? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, the the name signifies that the discord that we have in the world, the lack of peace, is caused by our erroneous presumption of two-ness or separateness or difference. And that if we really want to lay the foundation for peaceful society, for human affairs being enacted in a way that is is peaceful and harmonious. We need to move to the root of things, the root of our uh, reality, which is uh, inherently a unity. And as you mentioned, Adida is a spirit was a spiritual master and and concerned about uh, these deeper spiritual dimensions of reality, but. Uh, in his later years became deeply concerned 
that human society was on a track that was going to leave us in pretty rough shape uh, unless we attended to uh, putting our shoes in order, you might say, and that uh, if things were left on the course where they were heading, it would actually make the spiritual process more and more challenging and difficult, whether due to climate change, due to war, due to pandemics, due to whatever. So that was an important impetus for elucidating his wisdom relative to social and human affairs. And thus we have this book, which is now in its fourth edition. Mm. Yes, it is. It's a common theme on this show that we've talked about so many times. It's interesting that recognizing the myth of separation and that it's at the heart of all suffering is a concept that I think most people understand. But experiencing that concept to actually begin to live our lives is a whole different matter, to live our lives as a we life, as part of the global humanity, the masses, the seven and a half billion people right now. Let's take a moment to talk about life at the ashram. You're in Fiji right now. The ashram is still going. What was it like to be around Adi Da and experience that sense of being connected with the unity of your group? Mm. When Adi Da was uh, in the body and as you you've alluded to, he passed in 2008, in November of 2008. Um, the ashram was in continuous motion, you might say, relative to uh, serving the process that he was initiating, continuing to initiate with his students, uh, followers, and devotees. And so there were, it was a very vibrant uh, retreat process all generally. Uh, when he was uh, here in Hermitage, uh, he was in his last years, there was a tremendous outpouring of uh, writing that he did, his final, his final books. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of artwork uh, that he was doing uh, almost every day. And so it was uh, electrifying to uh, be, you know, in this environment. What's interesting is since his passing, uh, his devotees would say that he is also present, but in a different form. And so you feel this uh, tangible sense of his presence uh, not unlike when he was alive in, in human form. Mm. So the ashram uh, continues uh, as uh, we have a very interesting situation at the moment where the retreat process has been suspended due to COVID-19 and the fact that Fiji has uh, locked down the country so there's no transport in or out of Fiji, and there's no transport between the islands at the moment. Uh, so we're trying to figure out, you know, what that'll mean and, and what the implications of that are and what they are over time. But uh, there has been, since his passing, 
a very active vet retreat process has continued. And I would say there is a, a deepening, a deepening equanimity as people grow in their spiritual practice and a sense of, of real uh, participation at a greater depth in what Adida was calling uh, all of us to hmm. and continues to call all of us to. Uh, well, I've certainly been called and I had not, uh, I, I did have a memory of when he was Baba, Baba Frijan many years ago, I think that was in the hmm. 70s, but I didn't right. stay connected and was in Europe most of that time. But since you brought up COVID-19 pandemic, I think it's good to look at it. So. This particular book, Not To Is Peace, is based on the idea that he called prior unity, everybody all at once, and the need to create a global cooperative forum, which is quite a huge vision. Talk about the impact of us all being on lockdown at this particular time when the doomsday clock is at something like 15 seconds to midnight, all of a sudden, the environment is clearing up because there's not a lot of excess use of cars and machines. The oceans are clearing, the air is clearing, and people have to be with themselves. How, how do you put this together with uh, the Global Cooperative Forum dream? Yeah, thank you. It uh, will be interesting, certainly interesting, to see how things will play out, and I'm sure sociologists and psychologists will be writing about this time for years to come, really, what the implications are. And we don't really understand. It's, we were talking the other day, this is the biggest social experiment in the history of our species to take very active people used to moving around and saying, stay in your homes. So what is that? What does that mean? When Adida talks about prior unity, he's, he's not talking about the word prior in the sense of previous, uh, but he's talking about prior in, in terms of a priori or the inherent unity in which we participate. And now at this moment, when there is uh, less social contact, it's interesting to see how new forms will develop for us to be able to stay connected and you know participate uh, in life and it doesn't change the underlying uh, superstructure you might say that we are inherently arising in a unity that is prior to any overlay of separation or difference and what's interesting is to actually observe the, in some cases, heroic efforts of people demonstrating this inherent unity, whether they are uh, frontline healthcare workers or whether they are transport workers who are getting the healthcare workers to the hospitals or all kinds of teachers working with their students online whatever it may be, people are sort of breaking through in a new way, uh, not all, but uh, uh, some, 
in terms of reaching out and, and a sense of this unit of nature of reality. And I was reading recently how, you know, at 7 p.m. in New York City, people bang on their pots and pans and come out and shout and, and do what they do as a expression of we're all in this together. Uh, if, if that understanding, that even initial understanding could bleed through into how we conduct our affairs more broadly than in a post-COVID-19 environment, we might have the basis for uh, operating in greater harmony with nature and in greater harmony with each other. So uh, it's very interesting to see what the possibilities might be. But what's fundamental here is what Adida calls, we at least need to embrace the working presumption of prior unity. You don't have to be an enlightened sage to uh, begin to cooperate with people that you might perceive as different than yourself. You don't need to be uh, deeply realized to be able to value and tolerate differences in diversity that we see in others. And the extent to which we can embrace these rudimentary understandings of the world would be uh, significantly uh, more peaceful. Yeah. It's interesting, the social distancing is such a misnomer. Physical distancing is definitely taking place, but I find I'm more active with my community and doing online meditations and classes and supporting people. And I find that people, it feels at least on a global level that people are more connected than ever. I've seen a couple of really amazing things besides the fact that the environment is bouncing back very quickly. One of them was the Rotterdam Philharmonic. I don't know if you saw this, but they played Beethoven's Ninth, the uh, Ode to Joy, with all the orchestra members in different apartments and oh, happy to wow. it. And at, at the end, when the uh, chorale comes in, it's, it was just, oh, heartbreaking. And then in Italy, in the middle of it, a lot of young people got together and did the same thing, playing Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Helplessly Hoping song, oh, you remember, oh. uh, from the 70s, I guess, early 70s. Beautiful. Coming together, an expression of we can come together in this, in this place. Mm -hmm. And again, when you say prior unity, it doesn't mean that we've had awareness. We've got, had 2,000 years at least, well, much more than that, of tribalism. And then in the last 300 years, the scientific method, the, the Cartesian-Newtonian model that says we're objects in a world of objects has separated us even more. And then our education system has really basically taught us how to be consumers and fit in and buy these products. So there are signs that this kind of awakening is, uh, is happening on some level. But then we look at the 7.7 .7 billion or however many people there are on the planet, and we're talking about a vision for a global cooperative order. 
Talk a little bit about how Adidas saw that emerging. Sure. The, I'll start with the last day of Adidas' life, actually. He gave a talk in the morning to his, his, uh, one of his senior attendants relative to human affairs, in which he said that when you look at what people actually want from governance systems, particularly nation states, they're basically looking for four things. They're looking for increased security, they're looking for increased longevity, they're looking for increased freedom from need, they're looking for increased enjoyment of life. And less and less, this was in 2008, November 26, 2008, uh, less and less are nation states able to supply those. And we would certainly see uh, in the current moment, not at all. <laughs> they're about 0 for 4, increased long security, increased longevity, increased freedom from need, increased enjoyment of life. And so that indicates that we have systems that have run their course in terms of what their capacity is to fulfill what human beings want by participating in such systems. He saw actually beginning, he first began to articulate it in 2006, that it would be beneficial for uh, humanity to come together through a representative structure to not have governance based on subsets of humanity, but to have some process that could take the totality into account, that could look at the well-being of the totality. And for me, one of the topics or issues, you might say, that has been most poignant in this regard is uh, with regard to climate change. So you have the United Nations, which is anything but united, but it consists of nations, 200 plus uh, nation states. And when it looks at a global issue, say climate change in this example, each of these nations is looking at this global issue through the lens of limited self-interest. So if I am Germany, I'm looking at the issue of climate change on how Germany needs to relate to this, how new changes will affect the German economy, whatever, the United States, every other country, China, every other country. And so we wonder why we make such little progress on a dealing with global issues, it's because we actually don't have the right structure. Now, Arida was not naive, in fact, very pragmatic, and, and indicated that a global cooperative forum was not going to replace uh, the, the nation state structure, at least you know, initially, and who knows how long that would take but that something was needed that could be a representative voice and that could actually mobilize people across traditional uh, geopolitical boundaries. And there have been 
you know, interesting nascent attempts at things. There is an organization, I forget what it's called, but uh, takes uh, parliamentarians from around the world to work on global issues together. And basically it's a study group that makes recommendations, so they have no authority for implementation. But it is interesting of pulling together someone in a parliament in Kenya, someone in a parliament in the UK, and they're working on something globally. Uh, mayors from large cities around the world have formed uh, coalitions to work on issues globally uh, that they have in common. Uh, and so there are uh, these initial early attempts in recognition of the fact that we can't solve a global issue with a limited, or as you mentioned, a tribal view. So it was with regard to the assumption that we could establish a, uh, a structural basis for uh, all of humanity to have representation and for those representatives to not represent a segment of humanity, but each representative to represent all of humanity. And so that is yet to be uh, implemented. Even when you talk about common issues, it ends up tribalist. It's not, it's not common connection or common unification of separation. It's common issues from a tribal perspective. Mm. So I know of some groups like the one you're talking about and others. Some of the more interesting ones, recently I had Otto Scharmer and Peter Senge from MIT mm. on together, or actually different weeks, but they're working on large-scale social change. Mm. Very Otto's Presencing Institute is doing some amazing work. If you're not familiar with it. No, um, I am. I am. And so it still comes back. To, it's interesting that in order to touch the whole, we really need to touch the individual in a sense of how do we shift our view from our ego, our identity, our narrative of being an object in a world of objects to being an integral part of a whole. For me, meditation is an important aspect of that and contemplation. I'm wondering what things that Adida and people in the ashram and, and your work are looking at in order to, you know, on the one hand, you want to look at the big picture, but on the other hand, you've got people that live in an identity, an individual identity. Yeah, you're raising a very, very important point. And several things to note here. The issues that we're facing, global, social, or environmental issues, do indeed require an acknowledgement of our inherent unity and participation and cooperation uh, and reaching out. But as you're getting at, how are you even disposed to a disposition that allows you to cooperate with others who may have been almost uh, epigenetically programmed to be your enemy over generations? Uh, how does that happen? And so what 
we're really talking about, and, and Adida makes this clear in some of the later essays in the book, not to his piece, is that a profound spiritual process is necessary mm-hmm. in order to come to participate in the deep well of reality in which we inhere. And so this is not a trivial matter. And so in his view, people that would be in leadership roles around any potential global cooperative forum would have to themselves be transformed individuals who understand at a deep level uh, the reality in which we are participating. So this is a critical matter. And it's, so it's not just, as you might say, the horizontal dimension of how do we solve all of these problems, but there is this vertical depth dimension of how we participate. And there's a short essay uh, in uh, Not to His Peace. In fact, it's the shortest essay. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, called The Dual Basis uh, for Right and True spirituality or right and true humanity. And this dual basis is the, Adida points out, the exoteric domain, which includes politics and social and economic activity, which is always leaning into progress, forward moving progress. But there is the esoteric domain of spirituality, philosophy, the arts, which is always looking at transcendence and the extent to which we are capable or develop the increasing capacity for participating in this uh, transcendental dimension of reality, that becomes critical to enabling our lives to actually work. Mm, Yeah. Um, You know, it's interesting, you mentioned spirituality, and of course we've just been through Easter weekend, as well as Passover and Ramadan, all, all the Abrahamic religions, and I would also include the Baha'i faith, even though it's a later, it's more about union, unity. But that's half the world's population is part of the Abrahamic religious movement. And then there's the other half, which have been called pagans, some, some people in the indigenous and animistic cultures would would celebrate that like someone who was in the gay community would celebrate being queer as kind of a opposition to it at mm. the same time all of all of these and i think in not to is peace this is pointed out somewhere that all the religions are pointing to the same thing yeah exactly and I think that's a really interesting point and maybe a stepping stone from the awakening of the interiority and away from the trance of separation into this kind of union. What are your thoughts about spirituality and religion? I, I've been moved by many things happening in the interspirituality movement that I've been following for quite some time. What are your thoughts around that? Well, um, yeah, just excellent. 
another excellent point. As you, as you mentioned, Adida's essay relative to all religions pointing to the inherent truth of reality is uh, very important for us to uh, bear in mind because the extent to which religious leaders get something about that, then uh, they relax the whole on this notion that my way is the true way is the only way. That's where things kind of get into trouble. And, uh, but that my way points to the true way, uh, or points to the truth, then that allows for the inclusiveness that uh, everyone can participate in. And uh, something amazing can happen as a result. Here in Adidas Hermitage, there is, uh, in addition to his devotees, there uh, is uh, a group of Fijians. There's a Fijian village on the island, and many of our Fijian friends have lived here for a couple of generations, actually. And, and they do a tremendous amount of service on the island uh, in many, uh, many departments here. And uh, many of them are Christian, uh, Methodists, Catholics, uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, and the honoring of, they honor their faith on their particular holidays and holy days. And so Easter, very important. Uh, and uh, also, value the fact of Adida's calling for this inclusive tolerance and that uh, your religion points to this ineffable reality in which we're all uh, participating. And so it's a, it's a wonderful example, you know, of something happening, you know, right, right here. We have to uh, support and help people to move beyond the notion that their uh, affiliation, whatever it is, say in religious groups, uh, has an exclusivity and superiority. That's, that's the kind of the crux of the matter where we get into trouble because that creates the two-ness. And so that ensures that we don't have uh, the peace that we actually uh, uh, desire. So there, there's a section, uh, I'll just read it because I, I think it epitomizes what we're talking about here. It's in the very first essay called Anthroposphere, where Adidas says, a new kind of human consciousness is required based on the working presumption of prior unity and on an understanding of the indivisibly single world in which everyone is living. This involves not only the notion that there is such a single world, but it requires grasping the necessity for cooperation and the necessity to function on the basis of an understanding that the earth is a single system and humankind likewise is a single whole. 
So not to his peace isn't calling for people to give up their current religion or even to give up their participation in a nation state or their ethnic identity and uh, whatever that might be, but it's to uh, include and transcend really, to uh, move beyond, uh, to understand that our primary uh, participation, our primary identification is actually that which has no name, which is uh, beyond all limited associations. And we need to presume more than ever before that this is a possible capacity that humankind can demonstrate. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, uh, our road is uh, looking dark. Very dark indeed. So one of the issues, of course, is that we have so much more focus on our differences than our sameness. From a genetic point of view, we're 99% the same, and yet our focus is completely on how we're different. Our skin color, our religion, our nationalism, our whatever separate uh, aspect. Even something Adida said, I, I think it was in something I read or the movie, I don't think it was in the book, said that my way is the true way, something to that effect. You could really, you know, my first thought of that was holding it from a perspective of, wait a minute now, this is not consistent. Um, but understanding that what he was actually saying was the way to truth more than the true way, I think. But this focus on, on differences, I think, and to create this kind of federation that we're talking about, this global forum, as he says in the book, will take a morally enlightened leadership. I'm curious where that leadership might come from and how might the determination of the global good be assessed? And I think that brings us to a lot of the work you're doing around the commons. So maybe you can speak to that because that's an area you're quite familiar with as I understand. Sure. The, you're right. He does call for morally enlightened leaders and calls for them to hold a perspective uh, and so such leaders have to be able to have a track record of knowing how to uh, move energy in a, in a big way. Uh, they have to have a sensitivity to, the, to what Adida is calling for and the transformative process that it requires of them. And they have to be willing to work with uh, other similar leaders. I've met many extraordinary leaders who tend to take up a lot of oxygen in the room. And uh, what's really important in what Adida is calling for is that people of world-class caliber need to be able to work collaboratively with each other. And for some, that's, that's, a, that's a challenge. And so that kind of leadership could come from different places. 
uh, we might be surprised. That obviously, there are some young people that are expressing uh, world-centric views, uh, which is excellent, but not necessarily with the experience yet of being able to lead or mobilize uh, vast numbers of people. So this is, I would say, a very early uh, work in progress as to how this will unfold. But to your question of, well, how would you know, how would you determine what's in the interest of the totality? I think, you know, we have to look at some basics. And so there's actually an essay in Natu's piece uh, called 723, where Adida elucidates two most fundamental human rights for all human beings. One is the right to unlimited physical participation in the basics of life, and the other is the right to protection from physical violence. And so if we just start with these two, okay, the first one, unlimited physical participation in life, well, obviously that means people have a right to food. People have a right to water. People have a right to shelter. People have a right to some kind of educational process, some kind of economic system where they can have livelihoods. And the extent to which we can uh, scan the world and see that even some of those basics are not happening, then that should you know, turn on red flashing lights for people in a, in a global cooperative forum, that these things need to be remediated uh, wherever they're happening. And of course, when we talk about right to protection from physical violence, the other uh, obvious uh, right, we see so many people suffering in war zones, so many refugees, there are over 70 million refugees at the moment. Uh, it's forecast that as climate change by mid-century, there could be uh, hundreds of millions of climate refugees. Uh, so uh, the uh, looking at things from that perspective of uh, these basic fundamental rights, I think is uh, an important place to start and focus with regard to the work of a global cooperative forum. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, unfortunately, it would take uh, quite a bit of work over quite a period of time to actually uh, ameliorate the challenges that inhibit the flow of those rights. Of course, the biggest challenge is, at least in linear time, we don't have a lot of time. Mm. In chronological time, we mm. need Kairos time, <laughs> mm, mm. that kind of Greek no, notion of the future already being here. Yeah. There are a lot of examples. I'm, I'm thinking of Satyagraha, nonviolent action, and um, truth and reconciliation, uh, other social movements that have been able to stop the forces. And when you think, of the, the size of the mass of humanity that is just not hell-bent on destroying the planet and using every mm -hmm. last what we call resource 
but it just seems, Leo, so overwhelming sometimes when you look at the military industrial complex mm. and the economic machine that is built on continuous growth and consumption. Mm. And with, when you look at the denial of science over the last 40 years that I've been active in the environmental movement, it, 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 it seems such an overwhelming issue. How can the individual get their, get their arms around it and begin to let go of the very basic things that they don't have that, that, um, you know, there's so many, um, discrepancies in equality and so many, you know, from climate justice to just looking at the COVID-19, uh, the impact on the minority, the black and brown community, uh, in, in, in relationship to the Caucasian community, these, these kind of, embedded in institutionalized egoic patterns are not just individual, they're enculturated. How, mm. how do you see uh, an individual listening to this show to take what we're talking about and not just think it's some utopian dream? I mean, it is in a way a utopian dream, but it's one that we could access too. Sure. The, um, Again, important point. First of all, it's just critical, whether the issue is climate change, the issue is social justice, or the issue is around uh, refugees or whatever it might be. It's important for people to be sensitive. Two things I would say. Important for people to be sensitive to how their current lives are impacting those issues? Are we participating in systems that are actually exploitative uh, and making things worse for other people? So uh, that requires a level of homework and education so people understand kind of how they're living. You know, uh, you know are our clothes that we're wearing uh, on our backs, uh, is there blood in 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 these clothes in these clothes in other words uh, did these come from sweatshops or uh, did these come from places that have fair standards uh, labor standards the second thing is it's very important for everyone to uh, do what they can in, and to take steps very intentional steps that move things in the right direction, whether it is uh, with regard to the environment. The environment's an area, or climate, where you hear a lot, God, what can I do? This is just a huge, huge issue. I can do my recycling, I can drive a little less, whatever. There are, there's excellent growing body of research, so I'll just mention one example, Paul Hawken, initially started a project called Drawdown. And the, when you look at the aggregate, the aggregate impact of people doing individual actions, it is phenomenal, phenomenal. So part of what we need to do 
uh, is be able to create uh, databases that make that clear to people that small actions, relatively small individual actions, but done with millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people actually have significant, significant impact. So there's a perspective that's very important here. And to actually understand, again, going back to the title of this book, Not To Is Peace, the extent to which we can at least, again, a working presumption of prior unity, a working presumption of not to, then we're participating in a field, a unitive field. And so whether there are prayers for peace, such as we do on Adidas Island, there's a, 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 a fire that burns that's attended with prayers for peace 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, whether there are uh, actions that can happen at an individual level, at a community level, linking up at a more regional level, these things all count. Uh, the important dimension that you've raised earlier Michael, is that the extent to which we have a commitment to participate in the consciously, in the unitive reality in which we, as Adidas says, always already are, then that is critical in shifting worldviews. And there are other strategies such as not participating in things that um, cause trouble uh, for the environment or for other people. And so we can mobilize uh, relative to that. Yeah. So it's a tall order and uh, <laughs> we must persist. We must persist. Well, the only other alter alternative is the end of humanity and civilization completely. One of the things when you were talking about ways that we can take ourselves out of our individual contribution, and you mentioned uh, clothing and sweatshops, I think another thing that's worth mentioning, and it is mentioned in Adida's book, is diet. Uh, the Our agriculture system is um, a huge part of the destruction, uh, a, a great, uh, uh, particularly in the meat area, a great contributor to the CO2 that's causing the warming of the planet. But also, what people don't think about often is how big agriculture is destroying the soil, the ability to grow, and uh, that if we began to grow our own food or work with cooperative organic farmers, we would be rebuilding the soil and the ability to capture carbon, for instance. I mean, that whole is issue, I think, is a huge aspect of this, this kind of, um, what can I do as an individual? Well, there's a lot we can do as an individual. Um, and the yeah, so let's just let me stop there because I've got five other things that are going through my mind to ask you about. So. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally important. There's a um, 
another book that's a compendium. It was compiled after Adida's death called Prior Unity is the name of the book. And there's a essay in there that was unpublished uh, where Adida explicitly called for humanity to embrace a non-meat uh, diet, that it would, uh, getting off of animal protein was uh, essential, essential for, uh, you know, the health of the planet, obviously the health of those animals that are destroyed, uh, the health of human beings. Uh, so critical, critical thing that people can do uh, on, on so many levels in terms of diet, for sure. And of course, that even is a complex issue because it's, it's factory farming and big agriculture in the relationship to meat. But actually, say North America, the biggest carbon sink is, is grasslands, prairies. And the prairies have always been, you know, when you look at it from a whole systems perspective, the animals that were feeding the people were also turning the soil. And, mm. and when the predators to those animals would chase them, they would actually increase the value of the carbon sink in the soil because of that. Mm. So there's a whole another school of that, of evolutionary medicine would say, well, we'll actually we're, we, we've, been, we've been meat eaters for hundreds of thousands of years. But it's, it's really, again, the, the raising of it. And then, then, of course, there's the humanity, the perception of life, you know, taking life. All, all of, so these issues are very complex. And I think that everybody has to look at it. And if you look at it from your, uh, your concept, Adida's concept of prior unity, that what I'm doing here, writing on this paper right here, is actually related to the destruction of the forests, you know, and the delivery of this paper and the cutting down and the displacement of people that lived in that area and the mm. animals that lived in that area. I guess what I'm saying is you, we will not ever reach this kind of utopian um, uh, interconnected society without learning how to think like a system. And I'd love for you to talk about that. I know you worked for Motorola and you were similar to my background as organizational development. You were mm. in that field and understand that. And yet, why is it so hard for people to understand, you know, what went into getting this pen I'm holding up right here, here yeah. on my desk? Um, there's 10,000 little things that happened to get this pen in my hand. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting how uh, people, uh, you know, I think you mentioned earlier the educational process trains people to consume. Mm -hmm. And uh, fundamentally, there are some real deficiencies in our educational process, including uh, helping people understand they participate in systems. There's a key essay in Natua's piece called Reality Humanity, in which Adida talks about systems uh, as uh, self-organizing, uh, self-correcting, and self-rightening, which we won't have time to go into at the moment, but it's a very important understanding of how systems operate and can operate. 
it's increasingly important for us to, again, pushing the educational lever, help people understand the interconnections of everything they do and that it's essential as we come to that understanding to be inspired to simplify, to simplify our lives. And so while there's no perfect in a certain idealistic sense way to make this world work out where no resources are required for anything, uh, there's a continual process of sacrifice that, that actually goes on. But we could simplify, we could reduce all of our various footprints, be it our carbon footprint, our meat footprint, uh, whatever it might be, and uh, live in a way that's more harmonious. Yeah. And that's the, uh, that's the possibility that's embedded in this book, Not To His Peace. Yeah. Yeah, and it really speaks through, just to mention the educational system, the, the lack is, it doesn't teach people how to think, number one. It doesn't pe- teach people how to feel, number two. And it doesn't teach people how to recognize that everything that is happening is a co-creation. Nothing happens in a vacuum. So the interconnection that is there for us all. So, uh, God, we're running out of time, aren't we? We're out of time. Um, any, I'll just make one, one yeah, comment on, on the something. educational thing. <laughs> and, and maybe this is the, um, uh, maybe we can use this in, a, in another uh, conversation. But again, in Not To His Peace, there's a particular essay called Zero Point Education. And where Adida talks about education that gets at this zero point or this depth of reality. And that, Michael, is so much what's needed in the world today. So to be continued, perhaps. (laughs) Very much. Well, fascinating, wonderful uh, conversation. Uh, Leo Burke, it's just a delight to have you on Conversations. And uh, I think we need to carry this conversation on again. So let's look at another opportunity. I think I'm going to be doing something around the movie Conscious Light. Maybe we can include you in that dialogue when it comes up. Very good, Michael. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Many blessings. Bye-bye. Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.